welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I dressed up. Yeah. Really nice. yeah. Hey, when we came in, yeah, because uh, we drive up, we park, come into the folk school coffee parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky, and you were stopped by somebody, and I came into the coffee parlor. Yeah, but what was, was going on? There was it was kind of strange actually. It was an older gentleman, and he just stops me as I'm coming in, and he said, "Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Fine." He says, uh, "I got this new hearing aid." Oh I God. said, what? And he says, this is the finest hearing aid money can buy. Oh. Oh I said, God. yeah, Jerry. what kind is it? He said, four o'clock. Yeah. I thought we... I, yeah, nobody here should be laughing at this. We've all heard it before, and we should not be encouraging this. It's unbelievable. And he just, uh, yeah, he went on and where is he? Where? And now you, you owe know, our audience an apology, yeah. sir. And I, I See, he it. said, what kind is it? And yeah. I said... No, we get it. Yeah. It's always a good joke when you have to explain why it's funny. Yeah. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> and this is how different we are. You yes. come in and you tell, obviously, a joke because you like the reaction you get from the audience. And if I'm going to tell any story, it's something that's from my life that actually happened. And, it, and I don't want to bring everybody down, but my Uncle Teddy... <laughs> On my Irish side, I'm half Irish and half Italian. Yeah. Well-known, yeah. well-documented. And, and on the Irish side, my Uncle Teddy died. Oh, I'm sorry. And what we do in the Irish culture is, uh, and it's kind of bizarre and dark, but we all gather if he's in a hospice or in a hospital room, and everybody gathers in those final moments, packed with relatives. Yeah. All, all my yeah. Irish relatives were there. And uh, I walk in, and they said... Uh, you know, and I, there's like a buzz going around the hospital room. And I said, what's up? And they said, Teddy, who has been a lifelong Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably got my Democratic Party roots from my Uncle right, Teddy. Uncle Teddy. And, yeah. he said, <laughs> and, he, and they said he became, he just converted to become a Republican, like on his deathbed. Is that why he died? No, no, no. Okay. And I went... And I said, well, that, that's impossible. And, you know, all my relatives saying, no, it just happened. It happened right before you got here. He made an announcement. And I went over to him, and I wanted to, like, console him in the final moments of his life. But, frankly, I was kind of pissed off. And I said, Uncle Teddy, well, what are you doing? You've been a Democrat your entire life. What are you doing becoming a Republican? And he says to me, it's better that one of them die than one of us. <laughs> Like. So that, nice job, Gene. See, so that I can laugh at. at. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's funny, oh, great. it's funny, <laughs> but it's a real thing that happened. Okay, happens. next week I'll try to come with a dead relative story. <laughs> well, I mean, if it actually yeah. happens, it actually happens. What, what, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Jerry, think what? about this. I'm trying to. Roger... <laughs> Roger Ailes. Mm. Do you know oh, who yeah. Roger Ailes oh, is, Megan? Yeah. So yeah. Roger Ailes used to be the head of the of Fox News. Right. Right. Started it, built it up, had a formula, all based on this goofy slogan, you know, fair and balanced when it is, and it's a conservative station. But he allegedly mm-hmm. uh, har- sexually harassed 
now number seems to be up to about 20. Mm -hmm. That's a wild situation. It is. And Jerry, I realized, and you know this because Megan Hills is our friend and our podcast partner. Megan Hills is a HR professional. Oh, we don't. Yes. We're not going to name so, the company, but a regional significant. So company. these are the kind of issues that would come to you in your job. Uh huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Now these are allegations again. Right, and that's the thing. Yeah. It's important to say clear. this is alleged. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing alleged, has alleged, been. Alleged. But yeah, lawsuits no. and settlements. Yeah. So I guess ensue and whatever. Yeah. Yep. We don't know. And it happens a lot. I mean, th- these types of things are not. You're hearing about Roger Ailes, of course, and you're hearing about this because of the culture that was created there, where it was. It was a culture where people. One, felt like it was normal to behave like that, where it was just accepted by everyone within the company, and that's how business is done, quote unquote. Or it was a culture of retribution where people felt like if they were to come forward that there was no, there was a retaliation culture where you weren't allowed to come forward, where you would be punished or, or, or forced out of the organization. Whether or not on paper, whether or not it was ever black and white, that was the feeling, it sounds like. Allegedly. People, allegedly. People are alleging that that was culture, going on there. They're alleging right. that. He hit upon them. He the hit women. Or some women are saying right. that he hit upon them was asking either to go out or sexual favors or whatever. Correct. That he was proposing it, and they either indirectly or directly felt pressure. They better say yes, and if they say no, they could lose their job. They wouldn't get the promotion. Whatever it may be, there was some. They felt some sort of a threat, which is the definition of harassment, where you feel like sure. it's a quid pro quo. Whatever it is, you feel that you must do this. But the bigger problem when you're reading through all these interviews and you're reading these allegations, the thing for me that kept standing out was that this was business as usual, that this wasn't unusual for Roger Ailes to behave like this, if indeed he did, Um, that things were going on within that culture that allowed this to happen. And with somebody that creates that culture, he's ultimately responsible for it, right? So for me, looking at it from an HR point of view, it's it's almost irrelevant what the details of each one is. It's, it's this whole over, overriding cloud of harassment, of sexual discrimination, of inequality and in sexual, it, it, uh, per the genders. So. And how do they determine that it's part of the environment by also talking to the other people there? Mm-hmm. Did they witness anything? Were they part of it? Did they know Correct. what he allegedly was doing and they... What advice did they give the women that complained about it? A lot of it, when we would call it today, kind of like that good old boys club, where it's one of those things where they, they prob- other people probably saw it going on, other men saw it going on, other women saw it going on, but it was, like I said, business as usual. It's the, it's the glad handing, it's the back padding, it's the, this is how we conduct business. There are plenty of businesses out there that still operate like this. This is in the limelight. Is it acceptable? Absolutely not. Is it generational? I mean, yeah, when you, it can be. so you have a master's that you got in the last number of years mm-hmm. and so you probably well did you study did this oh come these up? types of things absolutely okay. came up yeah and so is the country changing where this is because roger ailes is the, an older generation and that's exactly and it. a good old boys club he denies all of this by the way let's make that clear and it'll all play out in, in the, the courts. S- yeah. settings where it plays out mm-hmm. but so is this, if you go into a newer work, like I went into a work setting yesterday, I went into a marketing company, a regional marketing company in this area, and, and let me tell you what I saw. I walk into this company, Jerry, and it, it was really not our generation. Wide open workspace in mm-hmm. a real cool, kind of sketchy neighborhood in this Midwestern city, and 
guys and men and women were in their cubicles. Everything was open glass. You could see everything. There were a number of guitars on guitar stands. Yep. There was a play area. We call that where, the Googleization of the American workforce. Yeah, <laughs> really. And yeah. everybody dressed casually. These yeah. were all young people. There probably wasn't anybody over Everyone's 30 a millennial. for sure. Yep. And I looked at that and thought, I can't picture that happening in that setting. So it, is it generational it like that? It can be. And it can happen in that setting. Really? First of all, be clear. Absolutely. It can happen in any setting. It doesn't matter what what you have around you. It's the people that make up your organization and it make up that culture. But generally speaking, it's just not accepted like it used to be. Um, and that starts, honestly, it started with women standing up for themselves and yep. saying this is not acceptable. And then it came down to the folks at the head of the heads of these companies, which unfortunately, if you look at a lot of them were men that had to look at themselves and say, I can't, I can't have this culture in my company. It's not helping me grow. I'm not attracting the talent that I want anymore. People that I need me to help move my company forward don't want to come here. So that kind of shift really helped. And generally, generationally speaking, I mean, I work in an industry that is by no means a regular kind of office staff. This is, it's, it's a professional industry, but, but the men and women that I work with are definitely more, um, not many have graduated college. So we're not talking about an, a P&G, for example, that right. type of environment. But the men and women that I work with at every level, the younger you get, the less accepting they are thankfully. Of any bull crap. Of like all that. this oh, crap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not accepting of the unequal pay. They're not accepting of the treatment of women yeah. as, as however. And, and the sexual discrimination stuff, it's not going to ever completely go away in my opinion. But the way that this generation has been brought up, it's just not how you do business anymore. So I would look for that to come up in the people that are coming up behind Roger Ailes and the people that are going to be running these companies as we go forward. You're going to see it lessen, thankfully. It's not going to be eradicated, but it's going to lessen. When you heard Donald Trump say... See, and that's well, look, a problem because he's going he's gonna to help perpetuate the culture that well, would put it back I, right Remember where we what were. he said, right. which was, yeah. hey, if it happened to my daughter, I'd tell her to get another job or change professions. In, no. What was your reaction that to that? Is an ap- that's absolutely incorrect. Oh, yeah. It's not acceptable anymore to say you have to, you have to put up with this at your work. You have to feel that your, your job or your career is at odds because you might not sleep with somebody. Like, that's... I would never tell my daughter, my sister, my friend, anybody to leave and find another job. You stay there. That's your job. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's part of their harassment, the fact that you're now under pressure to have to leave. I mean, that's, the respons- that was the most absurd answer ever. And the responsibility of it's an employer. It's a 1950s mentality. It is. It's Ma- when Ma- Playboy Ma- magazine the, yeah. came out. Absolutely. I mean, even the presentation, to be fair, the presentation of, of Fox is initially the idea was, which was the marketing of it, we're going to go after older white men. Mm-hmm. That was politically who they were aiming at as an audience. They thought there was a marketplace that of uh, older people who weren't too happy with the way the culture was going, mm-hmm. and they wanted to go back to the, you know, so it's the businessmen in their cars driving to work. They were, you know... So that's the notion of who their audience was. And then you look at how they pick their anchors. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the people on Fox, it could be Playboy magazine back in the 1950s. I'm not suggesting that the people they have on the air aren't qualified, right. but they sure do seem to fit a mold. They have a type. A they type. They have a type. 
And, uh, you know, the women could be models, other than the fact that they're good reporters or journalists. And look even at the anchor sets now. Did you ever notice that on Fox, they no longer have someone sitting behind a desk? In most cases, it's a glass table, mm -hmm. and the women are always wearing skirts, and they're usually fairly short. Mm -hmm. And that's... What, if you knew nothing else of what was going on, you'd look at that station and say, whoa, what is this about? If you turned the sound off. Right. And, you know, if you turn the sound off, you get as much truth as you do if you turn the sound <laughs> on. But, but it's almost a, like a presentation. And it is. And, and, you know, that sends a message to young women that you've got to be looking like this if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're an older woman or, you know, you, you don't dress like that, then, ah, sorry, you're not going to make That's exactly the wrong message. That's what everyone is now saying. Whoa, do not raise young girls to believe that that is the way to success. Well, and that's when we get back to, like, the Donald, the thing that's really frightening with the Donald Trump and saying those types of things in this, in this day and age you, you can create whatever culture you want, right? It's a, it's a private company. You, you have whoever you want up there representing your company. But what it does when you're on a, on a national scale is it puts it out there as, like you said, this is what's expected. In order to be successful, you must do this. And then you have somebody like Donald Trump who gets up there and reiterates it and, and just keeps feeding this. And that's the danger. And now, according, as you said, according to these reports, he's got Roger Ailes prepping right. him for the debate. Right. <laughs> I read that yeah. today. <laughs> really? I mean. Boy, that's just another what is total <laughs> blunder. It's, really. well, I mean, birds of a feather, but I get it. Understand Roger Ailes prepared uh, Ronald right. Reagan. He oh, prepared Roger Ailes is a Bush. genius. Really is a, would you agree that's a bad move to bring well, him in to do this when he's under this cloud? Yeah, but I think uh, Donald Trump is doubling down. Yeah. He's not backtracking on anything about the perception of who he is or what he believes. Right. He's saying, in your face, that's who I am, and... Like it or you leave know, it. Yep. So his base loves him more and more and more, but that strategy doesn't increase the base by one more vote. And that's what's making yeah, looks, the right, normal Republicans he, angry. He may have hit a ceiling. In fact, let's mention something else that he said that actually touched on something that I've done in my life, and that is the claim that, that, uh, Don, that Donald Trump is making, he's being helped by Sean Hannity, a conservative talk show host on radio, that our elections are rigged and that we need to guard against uh, if he loses it will be because if he loses Pennsylvania where he's behind 10 15 points depending on the poll you look at it will be because he was cheated that the that there was voter fraud that it's going to happen across the country and he's lining up all these observers which by the way both parties do but for different reasons so i wanted to mention this and you know this, Jerry, uh, years ago, not too many years ago, I was a member of a board of elections in Ohio yeah. in one of the 88 counties. It's one called Claremont County. And I want to say this real fast because what Ohio does is typical of what states do in all 50 states. And this is what Americans, when they hear Trump say that, especially kind of knee-jerk people would say, yeah, I think they are. They're going to screw us. They're going to steal this. This is how... It, this is how it can't be stolen. This is the reality. The fact of the matter is, in Claremont County in Ohio, and typical of the other 79 counties, you had four members of a board of elections. Two came from the central committee in the county from the Democratic Party. Two came from the Republican Party. 
Then there was a board of elections director who was of one party, and the chairperson of the board of elections was of the other party. The overseer of the whole process in Ohio was a secretary of state, elected every four years by the citizens. When I was on, it was a Democrat for half of the time, and then it was a Republican for half the time. The reality is every election, I was at the Board of Elections. I physically, with my cohorts, selected the machinery that would be used to vote. We oversaw its application on election night. We had people equal from both parties out at the polling places where the individual goes in and signs their name next to a recorded signature. The checks and balances all along the way are done by both parties. So if somebody has rigged an election, it would take the involvement of the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, at various levels up and down the line. So any accusation, and by the way, Sean Hannity says, and Trump now starts to quote this, well, there are 19 precincts in Philadelphia where all the votes casted were for Barack Obama. And the fact is that did happen. But he doesn't tell you that there were other counties, there were other counties and polling places in Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania where all the votes went for Mitt Romney. In Utah, there were polling areas all over the place where all the votes were for Romney. It is a ridiculous assertion. And I just want to say my little piece to say to to make the point, it cannot be done. Exactly. And it is not. I'm glad you raised the issue. And it is not just ridiculous, I would argue it's also dangerous. Because what Donald Trump is doing, which will have, it won't affect this election, but what he is doing, which will have an effect after the election, is he is once again doing something to undercut our country, to have people lose confidence in the whole concept of democracy. Donald Trump, from day one, and I've said this in other podcasts, has been the only candidate we've ever had in either party to run against the idea of America. Everything he is doing is to undercut that idea. When he wants to replace the Statue of Liberty with a wall, it's the, against the idea, America, that this country is for everybody, regardless of your religion, regardless of who your parents were, where you came from, etc. And he undercuts that by saying we have to build the wall and we have to uh, watch out for Hispanics and we have to keep Muslim, we have to deport the Hispanics uh, that are here illegal, we have to uh, uh, not permit Muslims to come into the country. Everything is against the idea, America. And then what else does he do? I'm going to go through a list of things he has done, every single one of which undercuts the legitimacy of our country. The point I'm making is that no other power in the world can take over America. The threat to the United States of America, if you want to talk about foreign policy, security, all of that, No other country or power in the world can destroy America. The only way our country gets destroyed is from within, from people like Donald Trump who undercut the legitimacy of the idea America. That's where the threat is. Think of what he is doing. 
I don't, I'm not in his mind. I can't tell you he's doing it on purpose. But if you wanted to destroy America on purpose, look at the things that he is doing. First, as I said, he runs against the idea America. Do away with the freedom of religion and, and, and all the openness which our country is so proud of. Secondly, he says we might renege on our debts. If we owe money, we might just renege on it and make them make a new deal. Well, what that does is it undercuts the financial system of the United States of America. Who's going to buy bonds? Who's going to do anything for our financial system? If when you buy a bond, there's no guarantee that the country's really going to pay you back. The full faith and credit of the United States is the single most powerful economic uh, uh, instrument in the world. And he wants to undercut that by telling the world, don't do business with America because we, don't, we won't necessarily pay our debts. The next thing he says is, oh, we're going to break our treaties. 70-year deal with NATO, no more that. You can't guarantee that we're going to back up. We say to the NATO countries, to uh, European countries, don't count on us to back you up because we're not going to necessarily deal with that treaty anymore. Well, what do you think has kept the world from having a world war since World War II? What's going to stop Russia from not just moving a little bit into Ukraine, but taking Ukraine over. If there's no more NATO and we're not backing up NATO, what's to stop Russia from going ahead and taking over Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Poland? You pick the country. Who's going to stop Russia if we're not going to back NATO anymore? Third, so break the treaties, break the credit of the United States of America, work against the idea America, then insult the entire Muslim faith. Over a billion people in this world, tell them all that they're not welcome in our country, they're all subject to being terrorists or the possibility of becoming terrorists, there's a weakness in their religion, well, what that is, is the absolute recruiting tool for terrorists. Some disgruntled kid sitting in the middle of Kansas City, Missouri, will go to that website and say, hell, I'm pissed off, and yeah, I'm going to join them. To every Muslim, disgruntled Muslim in the world, now, when these terrorists say to these young kids, join us, America hates you, America thinks you're worthless, sign up. Become a terrorist with us. That's what Trump does every time he holds a press conference and tells the world what he thinks of Muslims. And he could be president of the United States. Then he, on another occasion, he invites Russia to cyber attack us, to hack into the, into the emails or whatever of whether it's Hillary Clinton or any American, any political party. Think of it. If you wanted to destroy America, every single one of these things, you check off your list. And now, as Gene said, now he comes out and says, the elections are rigged. Well, if you get the American people, or if you get enough people to believe that elections are rigged, there goes democracy. Either one, people will stop voting, or two, they won't believe the election results. 
he delegitimizes our government. Why obey any law? Why listen to any authority? Why listen to the American government? It's not legitimate. He tried to delegitimize Barack Obama by saying he wasn't even born in America. He shouldn't be. He's not our president. He keeps doing these things. And we keep saying, well, he's just a buffoon. At what point do we say, wait a second? And then what about his um, campaign chairman? The guy who now apparently, there are records that say that $12 million in cash was sent to him as he was representing the Ukrainian president who was pro-Russian and then dumped. So the Russians like this guy, and they're giving him, what, $12.5 million in cash, and he's running Trump's campaign? And Trump keeps saying how Putin is, is you know, he's his buddy, and he's a good guy. And then the media asked him, by the way, have you ever met Putin? Well, no. Have you ever talked to him? Well, no. So, yeah, okay, Trump's a buffoon. But at some point, the list I've just given you, every single one of those things is exactly what you would do if you wanted to destroy this country, if you wanted to undercut America. And remember, no outside power can take us over. There's no military in the world, you know, one-tenth as strong as we are, so that's not going to happen. No economy in the world is as strong as ours. That's not going to happen. Remember, you love this country and you want the country to be secure. The only people that can destroy America are people within the country, within our country, who want to delegitimize it. And now we have a guy running for president who wants to do that. Don't tell me anything about Hillary Clinton. It's not even close close. There is nothing she has ever done to destroy the United States of America. Good comments. By the way, would you accept one more? He attacks all the American news media Mm -hmm. as scoundrels. All of them. He makes rare exceptions to that. So if you undercut the so-called third rail of the American democracy, the free press. Yes. And he suggests that there uh, may be under his, uh, his regime mm-hmm. some uh, pullbacks on the freedom of the press. And by the way, boy, that, those are some, <laughs> some good truths. And I'm, I'm holding up. And this hold is this a piece of literature is what this is. I'm holding here a, a book. American Because there history. are other truths as good as the ones that yeah. he just espoused. That'll destroy America. In a book called Jerry Springer, Ringmaster. I'm an old English teacher from way back, and I would say to young people, I would have on (laughs) on my nightstand, if I were you in your dorm room, maybe three books. Uh, Lord Jim by Joseph Conrad, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. The Bible. And Laura. The Bible. The Bible. Well, the New Testament, not the Old Testament for sure. But, (laughs) But then I would have a book by Laura Morton, Jerry Springer, Ringmaster. Wow. She helped me with the book. Oh, it's you wrote weird. you wrote this. The bio I wrote. I mean, oh, the, the bio first, you wrote. No, the first five chapters of me. Yes, because that's about my life, and then about the show was her. 
Yeah. Oh this my. really is a good movie. Oh, it's unbelievable. I have never seen this book oh, before. You, you never saw this. Ringmaster? Uh, no, I've never seen Ringmaster. Oh, my God. And I made a movie out of it. I, there was I a knew. movie, too, in 90. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, I, I missed it. Yeah. I guess I'll have to Netflix that this weekend, hey, huh, Jerry? Jerry? Maybe I should ask this off mic, but I'll ask it on mic. Well, I have a couple <laughs> yeah. questions for right, you. Right, I got One more is, than a couple. Why couldn't we hustle these to make some walking around money, basically, for me. <laughs> uh, but why can't we hustle your CD, a cut of which... Uh, well, or table adjuster, as we know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What was that yeah. song we played, uh, There's No Trash in My Trailer? Oh, or something? There Ain't No Trash in My Trailer. Okay, you, so that's a CD, and you had that CD made in Nashville. Yes. You had yes. some studio musicians yeah. do it. It's I'd have to find that. Sure, you can... They're you know. in Jean's garage, so who owns if I those? remember why, They're in my garage. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Can we at least sell the 200 copies I'm at least that I have? Part, Honestly, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm at least part owner. But if we sold it, whoever yeah. the... But why don't you have your people contact my people and we'll Gene, figure this out. Problem is, you're both, though, Gene. Yeah, I'm actually... <laughs> hey, let me ask you this question. How much does it cost to walk around Ludlow, Kentucky? <laughs> well, I admit, no, I don't need walk much. walking around money. I don't need much. I got you a go buck, to this block and then you go I over I got a there. buck 50 in my purse. I'll throw By you the way, in. Matt, cents. Get a bus. Matt Williams, uh, cat, Matt Catfish is Williams, running. is running for the Ludlow City whoop, Council. Whoop. He duly... He duly filed his uh, campaign Soon papers. To be I don't know that a lawyer checked them, but so let's assume they were all done properly. And look who we have. Come up here for a second. This this fella is running for a and I remember state it's rep. words only, no pictures, so you're gonna have to describe this. Except, yeah. for, except for the camera that's right there, yeah. Gene. <laughs> okay, introduce yourself. My name's Joe Otis. I'm running for the state legislature in Ohio's 27th House District. It's the eastern half of Hamilton County. Wow. Woo. And I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a check for a couple of bucks, or whatever. Right. Well, I got Yes, yeah, thank you. Right. <laughs> no, the reason why I, every time I see this guy, if you were making a movie. And it'd be about some young man running for state legislature. Wouldn't it look like it him? Would, totally. <laughs> he has a Does, what, what's that, that hat smile, called? Look a at it. Yeah. This guy was flat top well, hat. You guy, probably yeah. wearing your student council. Were you a student council? Yeah, easy. of course. <laughs> yeah. If you were making the movie again, Animal House, wouldn't he have been one of he the? You would have been in it. You would have been in it. Thank you. Love it. Thanks a lot. We're, we're hey Jerry, here's a question. Yeah. So vote for Catfish and Joe, right? Yeah. And Joe. Yeah. Catfish and Joe. Hey, um, <laughs> is there... Singer? That's no. nothing. Sorry. Nothing. <laughs> is there, is yeah. the story in this book, yes. an American president, one of our presidents, yes. talked to you personally while he was president and discussed with you his take after watching your TV show. It could be. Maybe the picture's even in. But tell that story. About. No, th this is true. Uh, this is true as opposed to everything else I ever said. Yeah. Um, this part's true. I love when people say, honestly. Uh -huh. yeah. For real, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the first Monday in November 1992. George Bush, President George Bush, is running. 41. 41. First George the Bush, first right? George Bush, 41, is running for re-election, and he's running against Bill Clinton. It's the day before the election. And what presidential candidates did at that time, they may still do it, though, less in this day of social media, but what they would do is they would go from in important states, 
they would go from city to city the day before the election to try to get on the local news there and get extra coverage. And I, at the time, even though I had already started my show, I was also anchoring the news for the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati. So I was invited to join George Bush, President Bush, on Air Force One as, and for the part of the trip that went from Allentown, Pennsylvania, to Toledo, Ohio, and a couple of other cities. So with a bunch of other reporters, you know, I was all excited. This is great. You know, here I'm a local news anchor, and I'm going to be on Air Force One. You got to One. be on Air Force One. Yeah, That's really you know, cool. I'm grabbing all the napkins and everything, <laughs> <laughs> the silverware and all that. And uh, so you go on the plane and, uh, you know, obviously go through all the Secret Service security stuff. You're sitting on the plane in, in, in the regular part of the plane. And at some point of the trip, they call you up to go into the cabin with the president. And you get a 15-minute interview with him. And so I brought, you know, my cameraman, and he was there, and we walk up there. And it was cool, because on the plane was Brent Scowcroft, Jim Baker. I mean, all the—this was the day before the election, so he was with all his people. You should know, at that time, the polls were showing that Clinton would beat him. Uh, and so there was—the people on the plane were kind of down— but unless he's the greatest actor in the world, when I went into the cabin with uh, President Bush, he was as confident as could be. I mean, it almost was like, what, why are you so, I mean, he was certain he was going to win. And, uh, and I was looking, you know, like, you know, for some evidence that he was a little bit nervous. No. However, in point of your question, at first was sitting down and two things struck me. The first was, he seemed, I mean, he was most gracious. I mean, politics aside, he was just, he's a gentleman. But he was so excited about it being on Air Force One. Now, he's already been vice president for eight years. He's been president for four years. He's been on this plane forever. And he showed me, look how this works. And you can touch this. And, That's so <laughs> and I remember why, honestly, and I'm That's looking cool, like, say, yeah, this is great, but you're ahead of the free world. Act like you've been here before. <laughs> yeah. And then he asked me something about the show, that he had seen this episode of the Conjoined Twins. Unbelievable. Shut up. <laughs> and back in the beginning, our show was more serious than it is. Now. You know, now it's just a circus. But in the beginning, we dealt with some more serious issues. And this was a, a, really a heartwarming story about these two young ladies who were Conjoined Twins. When I was a kid, we called them Siamese Twins. Uh, but uh, they obviously, these two weren't Siamese, but anyway, they were joined at the head. It was a, a, an incredible story. Nevertheless, he's talking about, and he, he kept saying, how was it, you know, talking with them, and where would you look, and, and things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is nice, but you're leader of the free world. My show's on at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Get to work, George. Yeah. Get to what, work. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Russian missiles. <laughs> it's time to clock in, buddy. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Turn off the show. So, that, yeah, that was, a, you know, and then we started to talk about the election. But he, he really thought, he said, I know what the polls are saying, but they don't get it. I'm out there. I, he's doing the same thing Trump, in a sense, yeah. was doing. Though I'm not putting them in the same category. No, no, no. 
George Bush uh, the first, it was a true patriot, you know, everything. Loved the country, government service, the whole bit. Um, but, but again, what happens with candidates, and, and I've been there, not at obviously the presidential level, but, you know, running for council, mayor, running for governor, and it's true, and you used to even kid me on it. You get up before the crowd, and everyone there is obviously supporting you, and they're cheering you on and all that, and you start convincing yourself, oh, man, th- this is great. And you start, and, and that's what happened to George Bush. He said, did you see the crowds we just had in, you know, in Allentown? He says, I'm telling you, they don't understand. These people, they get it. They'll never vote for Bill Clinton. And, of course... Clinton won pretty handily. So, but anyway, that's the and time. And he didn't I ask about shows where women are snatching wigs or, you know, hold my earrings. Hold or my earrings. Like uh, in yeah. 92, uh, this was the pre-wig snatching era. Oh, it was pre-wig snatching. Right. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 the classical era of the Springer yeah. show, we'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> These were the classical shows, which are on a separate DVD. You can... <laughs> you can vintage. get those vintage. <laughs> Call one eight hundred, and you can get vintage Springer, or you can. And then we have the chair throwing tapes, so yeah. you get to choose. Hey, make a quick comment Which on version? this other thing that's in the news, and we're going to bring up uh, Truck Stop Waterfall, this great yeah. duo we have tonight. We're going to hear from in a minute to do some music, but there's been talk among some, and it's been reported in a number of venues that maybe Donald Trump won't ultimately stay on the ticket, that he might, and there are people beseeching him to do that, drop out, let uh, Governor Pence from Indiana take over and be the nominee. Is that uh, even possible and ad- ad- advised for our country? What's your take yeah. on that? Well, um, there's talk about that now because as we speak now, Trump is just taking a dive in the polls, all the critical states, um, I mean, it really looks like the thing is falling apart at the seams. doesn't mean that's how it ends up. Things can happen. But right now, it's the campaign is a disaster. And it's, you know, those are the words of Republicans are saying that. And so, therefore, it may be inevitable that people start saying, is there a way to get him off the ticket? Well, number one, the only way to get him off the ticket uh, is for him to, to withdraw to say, I am not going to run for president, I withdraw from the ticket. That has never been done before. A vacancy has never been filled by someone who got the nomination of the party, except twice for vice president. In the early part of the 19th century, Sherman, and in 1980, oh, excuse me, 1972, uh, Senator Eagleton from Missouri was the vice presidential selection uh, to run with George McGovern. And McGovern had picked him. The uh, convention confirmed it. So Eagleton was the candidate. It then came out a few weeks later in some newspaper reports that Senator Eagleton had uh, at one point for, I think it was depression, received some shock treatments from his psychiatrist. That scared, you know, those were different times. That scared the hell out of everybody. And so he was asked and then removed himself from the ticket. So the Democratic National Committee 
had to convene. They didn't convene a whole convention again. That's not practical. But the Democratic National Committee had to uh, choose uh, someone else to fill that vacancy to run with McGovern. It turned out to be Sergeant Shriver, um, the Kennedy brother-in-law, uh, Bobby Kennedy's brother-in-law, Jack Kennedy's brother-in-law, married um, one of the... Is it Una? Uh, Eunice, Eunice. Yes, Eunice Shriver, right? right. And uh, he had been head of the Peace Corps, and so he ran with McGovern, and of course, the ticket got beaten. So, there is a mechanism in both parties that, for example, if Trump said, I'm not running suddenly, there are two ways the Republican Party can fill it. They can, one, convene the convention again, which, of course, practically speaking, they would never do. They'll choose the second option, which is the RNC, the Republican National Committee, can convene, and they would then decide who the new candidate would be. The vice presidential candidate does not, repeat, not automatically move up to become the top of the ticket. They have to choose someone to be at the top of the ticket. When they vote, each state is given the exact number of votes they had at the regular convention, and then they'll vote, and they got to get 50%, and whoever gets 50% would be the new Republican nominee for president. They could decide to take Pence and make him the candidate, but they don't have to. They could pick Ryan. Uh, you know, they could pick Romney. They can pick anyone they want. There are no rules on who they pick, but it's a separate selection than choosing the vice president. Final word on it. It'd be horrible. I don't care how much we don't like Trump. It's not a good thing for the country uh, to have, because of pressure, a candidate remove himself after the convention. And the reason is, think of that, what that would mean for the future. Number one, when we got the guy going around already saying elections are rigged, you know, your votes don't count. Number one, all those primaries would have been for naught. Secondly, even then at the convention, after the convention chooses a candidate, even that won't be final. So every time from now on with all our elections, it will never be over because the primaries won't be determinative, the choice at the convention won't be determinative, and then finally, if you don't like who the convention chose, you can still attack the guy, try to get him out, or the woman, and put someone else in. It'll be chaos in all future elections, so it's not a good thing for the country. The Republicans just gotta suck it up. You pick someone who admittedly is a horrible candidate, and doesn't represent your values, fine. You, you suck it up for this election. You hope you, your congressmen and senators get elected. That's your decision. And then the next election, you try and come back. But uh, we don't change candidates now. It's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. That's who the American people decided should be the candidate. That's the choice you got to make. All right, Truck Stop Waterfall. It's Joe Mashret and Scott Reisner, and uh, they are well-known in the, uh, what I'll call the tri-state area of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Uh, start us off with a song, if you would. All right. <clears throat> here's a song. I'm Joe, and here's a song I wrote called The Banjo-Pickin' Tobacco-Spittin' Gal. It's, nice. about, uh, <laughs> it's about a lady that this guy, I thought he had told me about, 
I found out a couple weeks after I'd written the song that he was not the person that told me about this lady, so whoever you are who told me about her, let me know. It goes like this. Well, she smells real good like a TV dinner And she's always polite like you just met her She don't believe in Jesus, says she knows better She's my banjo picking a back spinning gal Yes, she gets high on that pie She'll brew up shine that'll make you wine She's a renaissance woman with a nasty lip She's my banjo picking a back spinning gal Yes, she rips five with a lip full of dips She picks the fine, have you shaking your hips She don't give a damn and she never will She grows her on the back way up on the hill You see her coming, don't be alone What's hard to resist such a natural charm She's big and strong and stands up straight She's a banjo picking a back spitting girl Say, Lord knows it's sad to see how does she sing so in tune with so few teeth. What we call that a scientific anomaly. She's a banjo picking a back spitting girl. Yeah, she rips fire with a lip full of dips. She picks the fire, she has shaking her hips. She don't give a damn, she never will. She goes her on the back way up on the hill. She loves me good, yeah, she loves me ragging. Don't want to say too much, don't want to sound like a bragging. Leave it at that story about a banjo picking a back spitting girl. Holy cow. Can you, uh, can you sing that backwards? <laughs> yeah, in two languages. It was <laughs> Truck Stop Waterfall. Uh, Joe and Scott. And by the way, Joe performs with a group called the Tillers also. Mm-hmm. So these guys have a group called Truck Stop Waterfall. Scott performs with a group called Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill Hustle. Whoop, whoop. Scott is a premier mandolin player, does lessons here at Folk School Coffee Parlor. Joe does lessons here. So you guys perform in various groups. How do, And you write music. I know you do, Joe. You write as well, Scott? Mostly on instrumental stuff. How, what are the economics of it? How do you make it? Just give us a quick sketch on... Do you put a lot of pieces together, making money well, here and there? How do you do it? I will say, since it's specific to Roots musicians, we play old American music, um, different styles. That can be old time or bluegrass or old country, honky-tonk, western swing. All these things have a lot of similarities. And uh, if you can find, I've been able to find, I love those styles and was able to find work playing those styles because I seeked it out and I spent a lot of time in my where I lived and I've lived in different places and just learning that kind of like the different songs and styles and arrangements that I really fell in love with and then finding people that were doing it. And, uh, I was nice to them, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I told them that I respected what they did, you know, and I was honest and uh, appreciated their art and created relationships through yep. that. And then, um, found myself opportunities to do things with that. And not to patronize you and you, Scott, as well, but you have to be real good. The relationships help. 
yeah. but you have to deliver and you do and you do both of you that's guys important. have, have that's a given yeah. and you guys have reputations for being consummate uh pickers and scott is your story similar to that um i mean well i played bluegrass for 35 years right. and i was in the corporate world for a long time really mm-hmm. and i uh, produced e-learning, web-based training, and things like that. And about two years ago, I made the switch over to to do just music. And I've learned that I'm working a, a lot more All right. than I was. <laughs> it's not as stressful, not near as stressful, right. but I'm working a lot more. Uh, like I drive for a car service. I do lessons here. I have uh, I sell, this is really weird, but I sell... Uh, <laughs> Trinitite, cool. which is a, a rock formed by the very first atomic blast in Amagordo, New Mexico. Wow. Um, sell that online. Uh, so I'm working probably seven days a week in some capacity or, or another. Putting all those pieces together. And Joe, I know you work here some. I see you mm-hmm. here. I'm one of your customers. Yep. Folk School Coffee Parlor. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a very interesting story, and uh, we're glad you guys uh, are around and here. And would you do us another song? We certainly know. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe. Sorry. Okay. Uh, this is a, this is a song that I wrote some years ago. It's just instrumental, called "Gypsy Moth," and I wrote it with um, um, a mandolin player, who was the mandolin player on pretty much all of the "Oh Brother Where Art Thou" CD. Wow. You got him, Mike Compton, who's a good friend of mine. I've known him for years, Woo. and uh, he came up with. I had a I had a little melody, and he came up with other parts, and we just kind of put it together, and so it's called "Gypsy Moth."
Gary, it's your turn. You go do yeah. that. And that's and that's more exciting than being in the corporate world. <laughs> just just a bit. Just a bit. Yeah. That Truck is that's incredible. Waterfall. And because you've raised the musical bar so high, and it's, and it's only because of that that I would say, would you guys do Irene Goodnight and let Jerry Springer don't. join you, you on the second? You don't verse? have to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Henry for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country, and sometimes I live in town. Sometimes I take a great notion 